0: Transformative change is difficult, but it can also be a powerful catalyst for growth and innovation. My name is Michael Carter, and I am the president and managing partner of Level 5, and you are listening to the Opportunity Unleashed podcast. Each episode, I get to speak with an inspiring business leader who has successfully championed transformative change within their organization, and or have had to navigate it within the market they play in. Regardless of the challenge, they have demonstrated incredible leadership throughout the journey. Today, I'm excited to welcome Brett Belchitz, founder and CEO of Maple, Canada's preeminent provider of access to high quality virtual healthcare experiences. So, Brett, tell us a little bit about yourself, the inspiration behind Maple, and the problem you're solving. Well, first of all, thank you for having me.
1: Um, in terms of uh, our business, I'll, I'll jump into that. Um, So our our company, as you mentioned, is a virtual healthcare business and related to my background, that's not an accident. So my background prior to starting the company, I am an emergency room physician. So practiced in the Toronto area uh, starting in the year 2004 and way back going even further in my life, um, going to a different stage of, of my career. I was actually a management consultant as well and worked for McKinsey and Company as a consultant out of their Toronto office on projects around the globe. Um, And so when I look at that background, most of what led to the founding of this company was really based in my day-to-day experiences working on the front lines of Canada's healthcare system. And if you look at our healthcare system, I think it's not a surprise to most Canadians that there are significant challenges that we're facing. And those challenges have grown worse every year since I started practice way back in 2004. And when I was working in the emergency room, what I was constantly faced with was the inefficiency of care delivery in our system and the unpleasantness that individuals faced when they were attempting to access care. So I was constantly experiencing the phenomenon of people waiting as little as four hours, sometimes as much as eight hours to see me in the emergency room and to get access to four minutes of my time a lot of the time. A lot lot of what was happening was people were coming in for very transactional medical issues, uh, things that did not require all of the specialized resources of the emergency room, and in fact, things that didn't even require me to touch them to resolve their issue. And it continually frustrated me to see people losing out on an entire day of wages, an entire day of productivity, to have the sheer unpleasantness of sitting in that environment, which we all know is an awful environment, just to meet a routine need that really them was urgent because it was time sensitive, but was not medically critical that they were in that type of level of care setting. So uh, what became very clear to me was that we were taking a lot of people and putting them in the wrong place of care. And when I would ask people why they were coming to the emergency room for this kind of care, uh, the answer was always, I've got no place else to go. Uh, I either don't have a family doctor or I do have a family doctor, but the soonest appointment I can get with my family doctor is two weeks from now. and, And By that point in time, uh, my prescription will have run out and I'll be in trouble or the urinary tract infection that I have will have grown so bad that it's now a kidney infection, et cetera. So I can't wait. And at the same time, uh, the other phenomenon that was very clear to me when I saw all of that inefficiency of care delivery and unpleasant experience was that I as a healthcare provider had a lot of capacity that I wasn't able to use. And I think that comes probably as a surprise to many people because I think the average Canadian thinks... We have very long wait times for healthcare, but the reason for that is we don't have enough doctors and all of our doctors are burning out and they're slammed and they have no free hours. And that is true, but that is true when I'm on shift. So as a full-time emergency room doctor, I worked 16 shifts a month. And whenever you saw me in the hospital, I was slammed. You know, the lineup was out the door to see me. I was burned out. I didn't have enough resources. The waiting room was always full. It was very difficult for anybody to get 10 seconds of my time for any additional conversation. But when I walked out of the hospital, outside of those 16 shifts a month, I had 15 days every single month where I was completely off. And that sounds great. And and it, and it was great. Uh, but you have to realize that in my job as an emergency room doctor, a lot of my days off were Monday to Friday working hours. So my friends, my family members, they were all working. And to be honest, I got bored. And there were a lot of times during the week where I thought, wow, like I could help some more people it now. make a difference. Yeah, I could make a difference. There's, there's all those hundreds of people I see waiting every day in the emergency room that if I could just speak to them now by phone or by video or, or by secure messaging, I could solve their issue. I don't need to touch them. But that doesn't exist in our system. There's no way to help these people. And so I, that realization plus all of the need out there Plus the fact that at that same time, all of my friends and family members, whenever they had a urinary tract infection or whenever their kid was sick or whenever they needed a prescription renewal, they didn't go to the emergency room. They just texted me. I thought, wouldn't it be amazing if we could actually take that kind of availability that my friends and family members have and make that available to all Canadians? So that was the premise uh, of of where the, the business idea came from. And, you know, I could talk for a long time about it. People thought we were crazy, but, you know, from that realization, it's led to a, quite an interesting journey to where we are today.
0: Yeah, it's neat. I mean, you, you're a dual-sided marketplace, but you just described solving, you know, two sides of the same coin, if you will. And then that's where I, in my experience, see marketplaces really take off. It's not kind of one-sided and the other side's just filling a supply and demand curve. It's You've got issues on both sides of that marketplace that you're able to solve through what you guys have done. Now, Maple gets lumped into this big, broad category called virtual healthcare, but you are quite different, and you've chosen a different path than most people in the industry. So maybe clarify for people what's unique about Maple that they may not realize or appreciate. Mm-hmm. I think
1: in terms of, th- there's a number of things that are patient-facing. I- I'm gonna start off with what is system-facing and 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 why does Maple not only solve a problem for the individual patient, but why does it solve a problem for the greater healthcare system? Mm-hmm. Um, because when we look at the other services that are virtual healthcare services, I would argue that they may solve an issue for some patients, um, but largely they're not solving any problem for the healthcare system. And, and, and the reason why they're not solving a problem for the healthcare system is essentially what they're doing is they're transferring capacity from the physical healthcare system to a virtual appointment. Meaning, I'm a healthcare provider, I'm a doctor, and let's say I am willing to work you know, four, six hour, six hour, four, eight hour shifts per week. That's my clinic hours I'm willing to operate. Almost every other virtual healthcare solution that we have in Canada, the way that it works is it requires healthcare providers to have booked appointments, typically on a set shift. And so when a healthcare provider says, I'm going to now have a day of virtual appointments. So I'll do three days a week in the office, one day a week of that virtual shift what ends up happening is the healthcare provider doesn't say, um, you know, previously I was doing four days a week in the clinic, and now I'm going to add on another day and do five days a week because they were they they didn't want to work an extra day. They they never wanted to pick up an extra shift. If you actually ask most healthcare providers, they're pretty burned out from their number of shifts. They don't want another one. And believe it or not, doing a virtual shift shift is actually quite grueling. Just stuck in front of your computer doing appointment after appointment for eight hours straight is actually really exhausting. So. What ends up happening with every other healthcare provider that's operating virtually in Canada is that you have healthcare providers that say, of my four days, I'm going to take one of the days that used to be physical and I'm going to make them virtual. That doesn't solve any problems. It doesn't the increase healthcare. capacity. It does not increase capacity. All we've done is remove physical capacity and change it to virtual capacity, which a lot of people would argue is actually not helpful. It may actually be detrimental. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we went, went at it from a very different angle, which is we said, how do we get that healthcare provider that's doing four shifts a week in their clinic, how do we get them to add capacity? How do we say, how do you add virtual days on or virtual hours on that you wouldn't have provided otherwise? And this is really critical because when you look at the stats, Canada numbers on our physician workforce, and this is a number that shocks everybody when I hear that when they hear this less than 50% of Canadian doctors, this is both general practitioners and specialists Less than 50% of Canadian doctors are working full year, full time. So there is a massive amount of excess capacity sitting there waiting to be tapped in our system. So how do we tap into it? So all the other players said, let's take the existing physical system of shifts and schedules and let's just plunk it into the into the digital world. So I think that that's a, a real failure of creative thinking and, and imagination. Essentially, you've, you've taken all of the, the things that are wrong with our physical system and All you've gotten rid of is the transportation and the waiting room that is physical, but everything else is the same. So what we said is we said, and I'll say this came from my personal experience as a physician. We said, what is the one thing that doctors are saying to us about what they don't want to do, which is shifts. They don't want to do more shifts. And what is the other thing that doctors are saying about the fact that they actually want to help more people? Like what I told you earlier on, that I wanted to help more people. Uh, When they tell us they want to help more people, what they're saying is, I want to be able to do it on my schedule. I want to, when I'm bored on a Tuesday afternoon, when I have no emergency room shift, I want to be able to pick up the line, see a couple patients. But if it's getting frustrating, tiring, or if my friend calls me up and says, let's meet for coffee, I want to be able to go back to that flexibility and go meet my friend for coffee. I don't want to be stuck on another shift that takes away from my flexibility of the day. So we added that together and we said, let's do this Uber style, meaning Let's create a system where rather than to meet the demands of the population, we have 100 doctors at a time that are all on shifts. Let's have a system where we get thousands of doctors, and all of those thousands of doctors have no minimum shift requirement. So they don't have to commit to any number of hours, any number of patients. They can see one patient at a time. They can see 10 patients at a time. They can work all day straight if they want, but it's completely up to them. And so if we do that, our hypothesis is, We can get all those doctors who have their four shifts in the clinic per week, whenever they've got free time on other days, to just be willing to see a patient or two here and there. And so additively, if I can get one hour from each of a few thousand doctors, I've created a lot of extra capacity versus I know if I try to find a hundred doctors and say pick up shifts, I might be able to get them to pick up those shifts, but they're all going to drop other shifts elsewhere in the system. So that is the system we built and it is actually panned out exactly that way. So what we've seen now, we have about 3,000 healthcare providers providing service on the platform, and nearly every single one of them maintains their physical shifts. Nearly every single one of them uses Maple as a way, when they're going about their day and when they have free blocks of time in their day, for them to provide more capacity that didn't exist. So we've been able to fundamentally assist the healthcare system and open up more supply. So that's the good thing about the experience from a system capacity. I always like to bring that up because um, when you look at virtual healthcare... One of the first questions we always get asked, and it's very frustrating to get this question is, aren't you just robbing the system of capacity? Right. We hear this all the time. Right? So you read the news, right? You it's read just, it in yeah. the news, and it's the number one misunderstanding right. a, about what we do. We are not robbing the system, and we are actually adding to the capacity of the system, and it's made a huge difference for lots of people who couldn't access care uh, prior to us starting the business. Now, for a patient, what does that mean? So now, I, I always like to refer... now. To uber in terms of service levels and and you know what your experience is in uber and maybe it's a bad example to bring up because uber service levels have have definitely taken a hit over the last year or two since the pandemic but it the concept of uber is not flawed and if we go back to the early days of ubers uber prior to the pandemic what we saw was uh the service levels that they were able to deliver by harnessing a, a team of hundreds of drivers that could hop on and hop off as needs came up for their services to meet the needs of riders that were popping up unexpectedly across a the community, they were able to always get you a car in the early days within three minutes, four minutes. It, when you called an Uber, you got a car right away. Um, the taxi cab companies, who they employed a set number of drivers who were sitting on scheduled shifts. so They had their eight hours or their 12 hours in the taxi and it, you had to actually get dispatched to book you in with it's one like of those drivers. a switchboard operator to dispatch. It, yeah. Exactly. So When you try to get a taxi cab, you know, I don't think I've ever in in the city of Toronto where I live, where I've called for a taxi and I phone into them, if I add the time on hold and speaking to the dispatch person and then finally getting that taxi found and then sent to me, I don't think I've ever waited less than about 25 minutes to get a taxi. So fundamentally, that Uber-based system is able to deliver superior speed of service versus a shift schedule system. So now, what does that mean for patients in our system? So our average wait time, when somebody wants to see a doctor, is always under 10 minutes. Um, Sometimes your wait time can be as little as 1 to 2 minutes till Mm -hmm. you see a doctor. So from the time you click the button in our app that says you want to see a doctor to the time you're actually speaking to the doctor, it's a couple of minutes, never more than 10. And when we look at the competitor systems, so the other virtual systems, which are A, robbing capacity from the physical healthcare system, but what does that mean to patients? Because it's all scheduled blocks... Typically, what happens is the providers are a set number of providers, meaning you've got, you might have 20 doctors on today that are offering shifts um, if it's a busy day. So let's say there's 20 providers on and today happens to be a really busy day. Well, all of those appointments get filled up and now you can't get an appointment today. So, so with the competitor systems, what that often means is on a busy day or if a provider calls in sick, if there's any other issue in the system, uh, at the best of times, your wait time is going to be a bunch of hours till you can get the first appointment slot in the day that's available, and at the worst of times, you're actually waiting days to get an appointment. And we've seen that in action, where especially during uh, the peak of respiratory illness at the end of 2022, we saw wait times for some of our competitors actually go up to several weeks to get an appointment through virtual. Through virtual, because they were so overwhelmed with the, the demand that was coming in. So on our system, what, what was really interesting is our wait time during the peak of respiratory illness actually went down. So I think our average wait time went from somewhere like seven minutes to 5.5 minutes during that peak of respiratory illness. And the reason that happened was that when things got busier and busier and busier, what we found is that that team of thousands of doctors, they actually got more and more engaged in saying, I want to jump on because I can see that there's more and more and more activity happening on the network. And so in fact, we were able to flexibly, flexibly supply much more medical capacity versus those shifts that were pre-set up weeks in advance, they had no ability to flex. So, So I think... Uh, when you take a big step back, you know what are the big impacts of our system that are really novel versus anyone else that's in this market? One, we help the system versus potentially hurting the system. And two, we provide a speed of service and a speed of access to doctors that nobody else can even come close to.
0: Yeah, and I like what you said. It depends on the competitor you're talking about. But the key is you get access to a doctor, which we know in a lot of these cases... You're two steps removed even. You're dealing with a triage agent that then has to assign you, and even that aspect to it is quite unique, I would say.
1: Yeah, 100%. And, and you know, I, I could probably speak about all of yeah. our advantages for a long period yeah. of time, but there's there was this idea in the physical healthcare system that access to doctors should be gated by some triage mechanism. Right. So it's either the receptionist at the family doctor's office or it's the triage nurse in the emergency room. And when we created Maple, one of the ideas we had is, why do we really need that yeah. gatekeeper? In the emergency room, you need the gatekeeper because you can't have a flood of people. (laughs) It would be chaos if everyone was physically attacking the emergency room doctors. You you have to gate it somehow. But in a digital system, if we can actually just create an automated flow of patients coming at the doctor, why do we need that gatekeeper? So we got rid of it. But I go back to what I said before, which is I think the other players in the virtual space just said, let's copy paste what we have in the physical system and just put it in a digital system. So they put in place all those gatekeepers, the triage nurses, the care coordinators, all those people. One thing that I know from practicing in healthcare, patients don't like telling their story multiple, multiple times. times over. And that's what you have to do in these other systems. Uh, and not only do patients not like it, but this is one of the number one sources of medical error. Because when you've told your story multiple times, pieces of information get lost It either gets lost by the person taking the story or it gets lost by you because you can't remember who you told what. So sometimes you get to the doctor and there's something you think you told the doctor that was important, but in fact, you told it to the nurse, but you can't remember now who you spoke to. So you miss that and the doctor misses it. And maybe it didn't make it into the note that the nurse told the doctor, but maybe that was a critical piece of information. And as a result, your diagnosis is wrong. The other thing that's really important as well is one of the uses uh, of triage in many systems is to decide on how critical as a case and who should see that patient. So when I what I mean by that is when a case comes into triage, in particular in a virtual system, what the triage person is saying is, is this a case that our doctors can handle virtually or is this a case that we should say, we can't help you virtually and you should go to your doctor in person or go to the emergency room? And when I was speaking in the emergency room, um, one of the things that always uh, impressed me was... When we looked at some of the telephone nurse triage systems, so in Ontario, we have Telehealth Ontario. Um, What impressed me always was how wrong that system could be in both directions on an ongoing basis. So I saw many, many patients where they waited eight hours in emergency room because Telehealth Ontario told them this is an emergency, you have to be seen in the emergency room. And when I finally got to them in the emergency room, Um, I looked at the case and said, not only is this not an emergency, you didn't even need to be seen in person. Like this, this is, I don't even understand what planet they were on to say this needed to be seen in the emergency room. And then the other thing that often happened was I would see cases where people would be triaged as a minor case and they would end up in the minor area of the emergency room after waiting for four hours. And I would see them and this was coming from the triage system. And I looked at a few lines of the case and I thought, oh my goodness, this is a critical (laughs) case. This should have gone to the front of the emerge right away. And so if I add that all together, what it says is that the triage systems are either wrong in terms of overestimating how serious things Mm -hmm. are or wrong in terms of underestimating how serious things are. And this happens all the time. So in our system, what we said is rather than gating access with a triage step that is potentially going to say you have to go to the emergency room when you don't, or potentially say, you know, you can wait two days to see the virtual doctor when in fact it's something serious. Why don't we just create a system where every case gets put in front of the treating healthcare provider, the doctor or the treating nurse practitioner, because we do use nurse practitioners as well, in, term, in front of the treating healthcare provider that actually is much better equipped to make that triage decision. Let's just put it in front of them within a couple of minutes. And that way, not only have we reduced that need to tell your story multiple times, but we make sure that we get it right. We make sure that we're making the right determination that if you're able to be treated online, you're going Mm -hmm. to be treated online. If you need to be seen in person urgently, we'll figure that out right away versus you potentially waiting two days at home before we find out that it was a mistake for you to do so. All of this is better for you as a patient, better for your outcome.
0: This is such a great story. And I wanted to make sure our audience understood Maple's business and all the good they're doing for both Canadians and our healthcare system alike. With that in mind, we've decided to break this podcast up into two parts. Tune in next time to learn more about Brett's personal journey from the emergency room to the boardroom. And how he has adapted his leadership style along the way. Trust me, you won't want to miss it until next time. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to opportunity unleashed a level five podcast where I profile inspiring leaders who have successfully navigated transformative change in their careers and or businesses. Our goal is to share great stories and hopefully leave you with a few pearls of wisdom that you can learn from. Thanks for listening and don't forget to check back soon for our next interview.